Okay, so this episode um, is an interview episode where I'm going to be interviewing as she, and yeah. uh, I will probably still talk more than they do. <laughs> probably. Um, so the point of this questionnaire is that as she just had a um, performance art piece uh, that debuted. Um, it was called The Champ, and mm-hmm. um, they actually talked about it in another podcast, the La Estación podcast, um, which will the, the links will be in the description. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm uh, responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and it was a good podcast. It was a good episode. It was very yeah, interesting. Uh, by all means, I've never thought of uh, like uh, tables the same. <laughs> Uh, but for me, like the reason why I listened to the episode was that I wanted to hear you talk about, about the actual yeah, piece, the piece and it was more we, about you, which like, uh-huh. I know you, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but you also have to understand. So like I was the person making the podcast and the idea was to get interest for, um, the artists. Like yeah. it wasn't necessarily the, the pieces, especially because we were recording the podcast even before people had decided what their pieces were oh, going to be. Oh, I didn't know that. So, so um, even before we had a name for the for the show, even before all of that, um, we had the podcast. So, yeah, <laughs> my one happy song. Yeah, I I I actually really I think that's my favorite theme that you've made. Good. So I have like two more that I'm like currently working on right now. Yeah, that one and the Dream Catalog theme. Um, I I, I love like that the Dream one Catalog a lot. Theme. That one's probably I, my favorite that I've ever. I written. love like how oddly spooky it is. Yeah, and I'm glad that you made me redo it because uh-huh. the first one I do like, and I'll probably use it for a different song yeah. that I did. But like, I just I like I've never written anything that ethereal yeah. ever again. I love doing jingles. It's so interesting. Well, I'm th- talking a lot about myself. Well, uh, we'll we'll get to my stuff, but um. What I was going to say is when I played the second version of the Dream Catalog theme out loud, Stephanie heard it and was like, oh, what song is this? And I was like, oh, Antonia made this. And she was like, oh, I thought this was like a real song or something. (laughs) Good. That's the point of music is to make it sound like a real real song. song. Yeah. Uh, That's so difficult. Okay. Okay, so um, I wanted should to talk more about the actual piece. Yeah, uh, should we give a little bit more context yeah. for the show and stuff? Yes. Okay, um, so La Estación Gallery is a gallery that is um, was created by Dr. Sandra Ruiz and a group of um, queer feminists, um, women of color, and just like a bunch of people uh, from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and especially from the Department of Latina and Latino Studies, um, who turned this uh, copy room into a gallery space. And um, the idea was that we could use this space to uh, present the art of different minoritarian artists and the first show we had was with Erica Gressman, and then this year, um, Ruiz decided that she wanted to have a show uh, created by students, and there was a class essentially created around this show called uh, Curating Performance, and each student who showed who was in the show was part of this class, and we studied about um, 
performance art, um, what it takes to curate a show, um, as well as like what an institution is within like art institutions and shit like that. And um, it was a really good uh, class that culminated in this show called Objects Who Hold Objects Who Let Go. And um, our opening nights were on December 13th and 14th uh in 2019 and the shows open up until june 1st 2020 so uh there's a couple more months where uh, if people want to go to it um they can and also uh if there will be more events in the near future that will have to do with the show and i'll talk more about that through the interview but so what antonio was saying uh was that like I I did have um, an art piece? It was honestly three art pieces under the the series name The Champ, and then there was the live performance, which was called uh, uh, To Be Touched, The Champ colon To Be Touched, and then um, the audio piece and the video piece, and I can go m into more detail about that later. But each one had a uh, ridiculously long title that I can't remember off the top of my head. So <laughs> it'll all be in the this notes. Is the problem of being emo is that you can never remember your own fucking title. Yeah, yeah. Like I have the same problem with the album. Like, I, like the album that I released. Like, it's all based off tarot cards. I don't remember what songs are. <laughs> I have my own titles for them. That yeah, make a lot more sense than I should have used. Yeah, it's like. Uh, like I remember someone being like, "This title's really long," and I was like, "Yes, but I need it to be this way." <laughs> and then, and then I can never remember it. <laughs> and I'm just like, I agreed with their comment, but also, <laughs> uh, I, I have agree to. And it's correct, but fuck you. Yeah, yeah. My my aesthetics demanded it. <laughs> anyway, um, so you came up with a few questions and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the first we need to summarize yeah. the performance. So yeah. People have like an idea. Of yeah. So the live performance is essentially, it's called um, The Champ to be Touched. And um, how to describe it? So the two nights that we did it, um, we essentially had people sign up with you, Antonio. Um, and Antonio served as what we called uh, the promoter, um, who was there to essentially get people into um the space where we were doing the performance and also like both keep an eye on me and the person and just kind of move everything around um you essentially you were a very essential part of the show and Ruiz told me that uh she liked your energy um so <laughs> My energy was basically that blazer. <laughs> yeah. I got to wear a fucking killer blazer. It was amazing. It was great. We found it at Ragstock because, um, uh, like, we went together to yeah. um, pick out costumes. And that yeah. was really, really fun. Like, anytime you want to do any yeah, sort of that, costume shit. That was so much fun because, yeah. like, okay, so the champ essentially the origin of the champ was my first year here in graduate school. I wrote a poem called The Champ. And it was in seven parts, and it had to do with, like, being a genderqueer um, 
a boxer. And I don't know why I wanted to write it that poem, but I just did. And then, like, this past summer, I just became obsessed with the imagery of that poem again. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to do like do anything with the poem I wanted to do something else and then the idea for this performance came and so I get dressed up as the champ um uh, as kind of this boxer that has um a boxing skirt on and um it's like a gold mesh, a gold mesh, mesh t-shirt, with a, t-shirt with a sports bra, and this like fabulous, really colorful '80s windbreaker, like yeah. jazzercise. Oh my god, that it's like, it had like Versace links on it and stuff like that. It was just, it was fabulous. Yeah, and um, essentially, what would happen was that it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> what would happen is. Antonio would get the person who was going to be a part of the performance and bring them into a bathroom in the Latino Latina uh, studies department uh, building near the gallery. There was this small bathroom that we essentially prepared just for this performance. Antonio would bring the person in and there were two stools. The person would sit in one stool and then Antonio would come and get me. I would go in and then the performance would start. And there's an audio component to the performance uh, so that I I never talk throughout the performance. It's the audio that goes on. And it essentially tells the story of the champ as well as like different types of violences that occur within the champ's life and um, like different issues with masculinity and femininity and uh it yeah there's there's a shit ton of shit in there yeah <laughs> and um and might i say that audio was like I, i'll get more into this later yeah. but like i was very impressed with the mixing of like how you placed everything within the space it was yeah. very well thought out Thank i you. was very impressed it was very clean sounding and like I don't know. It was cool. And you did some audio manipulation, which mm-hmm. is always very, very difficult to not make sound overly like garbled and, and weird. Yeah. It was really good. I liked it. We'll yeah. get more into that later. I just wanted to compliment you. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, the, the bathroom had one light on, which was a flashlight. And I would come in, the audio would play, and I w- would wash the hands of uh, the person participating. And the entire performance is that of washing their hands, drying their hands, and then putting um, like uh, boxing hand wraps on them. And the ending of the performance uh, is hard to describe because each one's different. Because um, I try to cater it to kind of the feeling that I'm getting from the other person. But um, essentially, once the audio ends, uh, I've finished wrapping their hands and then I'll, I would get up and leave the bathroom and leave them with like their own emotions and feelings to think about what happened. And then Antonio would come in and help them with whatever. And then we would do it all over again. So yeah. originally we were going to do what, like six a night or something. Yeah. And then we ended, ended up, up doing like, like eight or nine, eight or nine. A night. Yeah. 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 No, by the end, uh, it was a little rough. Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really like, 
it was a lot of work yeah. um like emotionally on me um there was one where i like you took a break and i didn't realize that my phone had unsynced from the bluetooth speaker and oh, i was yeah. the one that was handling the audio on the oh, outside oh wow. yeah I and it was just that. like a minute of you sitting in silence, silence yeah. which i'm sure was very effective but like i don't know it was just a it, it was uh rough and funny yeah um I don't know for me the interesting thing of the piece is that like uh like like i really really love art i, mm -hmm. I really really genuinely do i i love being in artistic spaces but like the two mediums of art that i'm like really really iffy about it's like the like that this is probably not gonna be a great analogy but for me it's like peanut butter and milk mm. like both of those i don't like yeah at all i do not like peanut butter or milk i like it in things and sometimes it works really really well but i don't know why mm -hmm. and to me the peanut butter and milk of um like art our performance art and poetry which is what you're like wheelhouse yeah and it's just it's the two love. things that as a medium i don't get and i've thought about it for a very long time and for me it's because they have this really strong cringe factor really um, and like to me it's the type of art that like there's not a spectrum either something falls on this line oh, of being like whether it's really good or like really bad really really like pretentious overly self-involved mm -hmm. um boring uncomfortable not really like fun to be around yeah. ever or it is the sincerest form of like breaking down all of the rules that society's made you think and like mm -hmm. just really thinking very animalistically yeah so to me that the like line between good and bad performance art at least in what like i From like what is you've very seen, yeah. very 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 strong yeah and for me i i would rather not have to subject subject myself to the bad arts of it because the bad art in poetry and performance art is so bad that i can't uh -huh. stand it um and that's just my own problem with it your own experience but i yeah. really 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 like to me that's the fascinating thing about you yeah um is that i like i'm in, in entirely enticed by what you do um and i'm very 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 interested in you as an artist and how you think and how you act and move and uh, it's just very very like it feels right that you would do the like two things that i'm very <laughs> that you're, you're scared of yeah um so i just wanted to understand more about this piece because i had like when we were picking out the outfits mm -hmm. I had to like ask you, okay, please explain yeah. all of this to me because I got 0% of it. So yeah. this is what I'm doing is I'm helping, <laughs> I am giving the explanation of it. Yeah, it, it's because way. there's like, there's a, unfortunately like hundreds of ideas that went into it yeah. and like a hundred, like a lot of different things that I was trying to do. And if like three of them stick, like I'm happy with that. Yeah. And I think that's how I do my writing yeah. and and um that's kind of how I applied myself to doing the performance art, but this is this is the first performance piece that I've ever done. Um I hope it's not the last. <laughs> and um it it was uh, honestly like I've said this to a couple of people. Um it's it was the most rewarding art making process that I've ever done um because other writing poems it's fine but this was like so rewarding in a di very different way yeah um okay so question number one um how's the champ a queer allegory to you the champ for me um really represents like the struggles that i go through kind of mentally on a day-by-day -day basis not necessarily like the 
the physical violences that occur, but the mental violences um, uh, that occur through like misgendering or through different parts of conversation, uh, transphobic um, slurs, transphobic uh, com- like um, speech, and as well as like neg- negative self-talk um, and what what you tell yourself like oh I'm not trans enough I'm not like who are you kidding who are you trying to who who are you fooling like you're not you're not enough of this you're not enough of that like why uh, why even try and it's kind of a um, magnification of all of that while also presenting it on a human form so the champ um, has been beaten down by that physically, mentally, and spiritually. And um, them being a fighter, that is, that is what they do. They ha- they, their body has to take all of that in. And, um, and I also chose for the champ to be a particular type of boxer, um, which they're called opponents. Opponents are boxers who are essentially slated to lose. Like, um, you Rocky can't... Balboa. <laughs> well, actually, Rocky's not an example of, a, uh, of a, an opponent. Really? Um, no, like, he, he, he would be kind of the example of an opponent who then becomes, like, a champion. But... Um, he is based off of a diff- uh, off of a real boxer who was not really an opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like me pretending to be a bottom so that tops will talk to me. And then exactly. It is exactly like that. Rocky Balboa. <laughs> yeah. Queer theory. <laughs> Queer theory. <laughs> um, so an opponent is... You can't have mu- like a Muhammad Ali... Um, become a Muhammad Ali, like having won every single one of his fights. If you don't have people who lose those fights, like you don't put two of the best, uh, like you don't put two of the best boxers of one league together um, before you've had them fight all of the opponents because you want their numbers to be like really um, high as far as wins go. And um, and the the higher up you go, the the less opponents you have, and then the more kind of like that's where you get into like heavyweight champions of the world and shit like that. But um, that's like the very tip top of a pyramid full of thousands and thousands of people who are essentially just there to lose, and um, and that is what. Like, am I the way I see it? So, this is actually stuff that I don't really talk about often, but um, the way I see it is like the champ exists in like the LA area around the year 2030, and they are boxing within kind of an illegal boxing. Um, ring um, not necessarily like because of who they are they can't get into um, like official boxing 
um, tournaments and stuff. So they will do kind of these underground, like un in bars or in different warehouses type uh, boxing matches. And um, <coughs> they're there to lose. Like the idea is that they will take all the hits and they will lose and they will take their money from that. Um, so like they still get money. They're not going to like because they can't get into an into a better league, it, it it doesn't make sense for them to like always like to try to win to some extent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The way I kind of see myself and see the way that unfortunately um, a lot of trans people um, think about themselves negatively, um, especially trans people with mental health issues. Um, it's it's very much like we're the opponents of our own lives, where we have kind of set ourselves up, unfortunately, to to be hit upon and to lose. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's really unfortunate. And um, I, part of the thing about the show, about the particular performance is, that we don't see the violence because I'm not interested in the violence as much as I'm interested in the like little moment of uh, tenderness that occurs before or after the violence. And um, in the performance, the idea is that the champ is the opponent and the, the person who's getting their hands wrapped is the person fighting them and is the person who's going to win that like fight. Truly the like actual champ is the truly the actual champ is the like person experiencing yeah. The yeah. thing. Yeah. Um but the I I remember like talking to someone about the performance and being like, wait, so the champ never wins. Why are they called the champ? And I was like I I honestly don't know. I just like they've always been the champ to me. They they don't have like a particular name or anything. They're just like this title. Um, and maybe it's because of kind of the ironic idea that the champ always loses. But really, I think it's because they're, they're a champ of something else, not necessarily of that type the of thing is not of this world yeah <laughs> see to me that that I, i'm sure that it wasn't intentional or maybe it was but to me it's um very interesting because it kind of the, the idea of the name the champ brings in the idea of realness of black ballroom culture mm. of yeah. um, like executive realness of like um we're not given these opportunities but if we were we'd look like this and we'd look fucking fabulous yeah and um like realness and like transpassability mm -hmm. as much as that's a gross term like it's kind of important in a world that completely like just doesn't treat you well if you don't pass yeah so it's a it's a matter of safety to pass in a lot of uh yeah situations um and uh the idea of being called the champ while not being the champ to me evokes that queer idea of realness mm -hmm. of um like kind of claiming something for yourself and claiming opulence and stuff like that when you're really not given it at all. Yeah. So to me it was it, it was very clever. Um Thank you. and very interesting. It kind of adds that like different layer. 
do do tell me if um you're confused or if you don't think i've answered the question because like yeah um because like what i've realized from trying to write about the champ as well as like talk about the champ is that unfortunately i can't like i can't figure out the right way to to show every single the elevator pitch yet yeah like it's just like i can't figure out exactly the way to show every single facet of the champ I don't that think I'm you really about. want to, because the whole point is people being able to experience it. Yeah, too. yeah, and that's true. But, like, uh, I'm also thinking about this from kind of the performance studies perspective of, yes. like, um, studying a performance like this. You kind of want to have as good of an idea of, like, what went behind it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So You want it to be instinctual and kind of your subconscious self taking over, but eventually you do want yeah. to have because left brain because about it. like the the unfortunate thing that we discovered throughout the performance and stuff is like i can't do that performance for every person like it is literally physically impossible for me to like be there for hours and hours and do just more and more of those performances like i can do them but they have to be in small batches and yeah. and um it's because they are so taxing in a lot of different ways um not to uh, like also to add that the the bathroom in which we did the performance um the performances gets really warm. gets really warm and i'm sweating like a fucking motherfucker in there and it just like it becomes so like stuffy and everything which is part of the performance like mm-hmm. it's part of the that like feeling but it's it, it is like yeah it's incredibly warm yeah i never thought about it but like the champ can be seen as a endurance piece um as one of like uh continuously doing this act which um i yeah before doing like two nights of it i would have never considered it like an endurance an endurance piece piece. yeah there's certain things that you just figure out um as time goes on yeah for sure so next question um What's a memory for you that would have triggered the champ? Just one memory that would have triggered the champ and uh, or would have like inspired the champ or oh. affected how you wrote it or um So the champ like as a piece is rooted in this memory of me being like 5 or no, I was like I was around 10. I was like 9 or 10. And we were visiting my grandparents in Puerto Rico. And I I would take walks with my grandmother quite often um, around their, uh, their area, which was really hilly. And we were just having, like, a walk and stuff. And she – I honestly don't know why she did this <laughs> – but she, but she was like, do you know how to fight? And I was like, no, I'm 10. <laughs> and, and that wasn't a sufficient answer to her. So she, so she like took my hand and was like teaching me how to make a fist and like how not to hold my thumb in my palm and like um, the type of things that like, how do you push someone's nose up? How do you like essentially what she what she was teaching me was like self defense but very much in the sense of like 
Um, you're not going to win a fight with anyone. You just need to like beat up and hurt the other person in a way that'll keep them still while you run away. And um, I like my grandmother always kind of had this suspicion that there was something off with me being queer or other different things. And I think she saw um, because she never treated anyone else like any of her other grandchildren like this. I was the only grandchild that was ever like treated this way. Um, and she was like kind of extra tougher on me because of it. Um, and I don't know whether or not that has to do with her being queer phobic or anything like that. But I, I think mostly it was that she wanted me to like be ready to like deal with whatever might come up in my life. Yeah, so I feel like in Latin American family spaces, there's that kind of idea of the mushe yeah. and how people treat you. Um, it, Yeah, I, I don't know. I had a very similar experience in like, it, it is queer phobic, yeah. but they kind of knew to treat you differently, Yeah, um, which doesn't do much to like help you not have a huge ego as a child. No, and like, yeah, I... I never knew how to process that um, that experience or those emotions, and this performance was like the best way to do it, I think. So yeah. All right. Would you consider uh, the champ more of a non-binary experience or a trans-feminine experience? Um. So like there are within the like my form of presenting the champ physically. So an, an important aspect of the champ is I don't want there to be photographs of the champ. And I realized this. Um, that was like 80% of my job, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, like 80% of it was like you stopping people yeah. from, from doing what I explicitly said not to do. Being in the bathroom. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah, that's really funny. Um what happened like let me i want to explain this thing before i answer yeah. your question and um what i realized was i was talking to the performance artist erica gressman um the day of the second performances and it was before i got ready and we were just like talking about it and i realized why um i don't want photographs of the champ um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, I want the champ to be the type of figure that if someone else wants to perform the champ in some way, they can. And they don't have to necessarily have the high heels that I have or the, the boxing 80s. skirt or the, yeah, or the blazer or anything. Like there's no particular way of dressing or looking like the champ because very much like being non-binary um there shouldn't be a particular way of looking like it you you as a person decide how that looks like and the champ that i am is my own personal champ but if someone were to do a performance like this with the champ um they can do it whichever way they want so I guess within that, it, it very much is going for a um, genderqueer experience 
not necessarily a trans feminine experience though for me a lot of it had to do with trans feminine traits um, mostly because those are the points in which I am trying to explore in and be more vulnerable in and um, this was kind of the way for me to do it was uh, through the champ so for me, what shocked me about that was that um, I expected it to be more non-binary feeling, for lack of a better yeah. word. Um, and uh, in listening to the audio and seeing it, I was very shocked by how trans-feminine it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that was incredibly interesting. So I just wanted your yeah. thoughts I, on that. Yeah, the audio, I, I think it's because it's very, like, I'm representing, like, my version of the champ. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. Um, what do you feel you've learned regarding craft through the creation of champ of the champ craft in the sense of like physically making the audio track or like, or, uh, the getting things together for a performance piece. What, what do you exactly getting things together for the performance piece? Okay. (laughs) Um, I, I learned quite a bit about, um, compromise as well as I learned quite a bit about defending um, what I think is central to an artistic piece. So, like, I remember we were, in the, the entire class had gotten together and we were discussing our different pieces and our different ideas and what we wanted to do. And then we were, um, like, essentially workshopping them. We were getting... Um, uh, suggestions and stuff and this was the first time that uh, Professor Ruiz was there to hear all of this because some of us had met up before and talked about it and everything and this was the first time that like I explained that it that I wanted it to be in a bathroom that I wanted it to be a singular experience a solo one-on-one thing um, that I most likely would not do more than like a number of particular performances in one night and everything. And um, and very understandably, Ruiz was like trying to figure out how to bring the performance into the space of La Estación Gallery because I was really thinking purely about the the, the, bathroom. the bathroom and the live performance. And she was wanting to figure out a way for us to do it. And she was like, we could record it. And I was like, no, that like, that totally takes away what, what I'm trying to do physically with the piece. And, um, permanent. Yeah. Yeah. And we like, part of the thing is like the ephemerality of the experience. You don't want there to be an official version of. Yeah. And, and also like, if a person who had that experience goes back to that same bathroom, it's a completely different place. Like it existed at that time, at, at that space, um, with those people, um, with that energy. That but, smell. And that smell, but just at that one moment. Like it's it's not a thing, it, it, it's ephemeral in that sense of like, it's here and it's gone. And um, I, I think like I'm fascinated by the, by performances that do that. Um, 
a lot of the inspiration for it, uh, especially the one-on-one experiences, um, came from a book. There's a book by a performance um, scholar named uh, Hold It Against Me uh, that looks at difficulty in performance uh, art. And the last name of that scholar is Doyle. Um, she talks about this performance artist in her intro who's, whose name uh, escapes me, but he's a, uh, I believe, British performance artist who does uh, almost singularly one-on-one experiences, and they're usually quotidian. Um, so the last performance uh, thing that he did uh, to the date of this book... What's quotidian? <laughs> quotidian being ho- like home homey like yeah yeah so so like homemaking like yeah uh, yeah so um (laughs) it's not even that different in spanish but (laughs) so um he he did this performance where he would drink tea with a person for 10-ish, 20-ish minutes. I think it, it was 20 minutes per part. 20 minutes of drinking tea and talking to the person, getting to know the person. Then the next experience is they go over to a couch and they sit down and hold hands while watching a TV and talking. Um, and they're just holding hands for 20 minutes. And then the last part is they go to a bed and they um, cuddle for 20 minutes and hold each other and um and this particular person um had essentially she had decided to have um like a hair appointment right before the the performance and she didn't notice it but she was subconsciously doing it so that she wouldn't show up because she was uncomfortable with the idea of going through that particular like sequence of things with an artist with like as a part of a performance and if and that fascinates me like it fascinates me what can happen with um an artist and one other person and when i'm in there when i am the champ i am the champ i'm not thinking about myself um and I'm not really thinking as an artist. I'm just thinking as the champ. So it's kind of the opposite of objectification, of being very, very incredibly human. Yeah. Which is very uncomfortable. And part of why, to me, it, it either falls into that like really primal human yeah. essence or it falls into like cringy, super. Blah. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, the. The performance studies scholar Hepatia Verlumez, uh, like we had talked to her about my performance, and she's gonna visit um, in a couple months, and will most likely experience the performance. And she described the performance as being a, like a um, what is it like militant vulnerability, where it is doing something quite. Um, very political like it's it's uh a trans body sharing of a very politicized space of a bathroom with someone else and being vulnerable like being um caring and um yeah Yeah. so 
I mean, a lot of my job was kind of, uh, it, it's the like good and bad side of trigger warnings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, like as much as it kind of like ruined the experience a little bit, it was still kind of incredibly important for them to, um, feel in control because part of my job was to ask them for a safe word in mm-hmm. case they wanted to end the simulation, which mm-hmm. nobody did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I also we found out that a lot of people once I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I also found out that my uh, safe word, which is pineapple, is very common, and yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> that um, it, it's like the most common safe word. I don't fucking period. know why. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah, so uh, my job was kind of to, like, undo a little bit of that vulnerability, um, and, and it was kind of, like... I don't know. I, at least to me, it, it kind of, because I was there to kind of give the like, there's going to be transphobic slurs. There's, yeah. um, you're going to get touched, uh, uh-huh. like in the hands. Um, I like the, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was very interesting. The, like the extreme vulnerability, but the lack, the, the performance will last yeah. about five minutes. Yeah. So they know how long they have to like go through. So it, yeah. it was very interesting kind of finding that balance of vulnerability versus lack of vulnerability. So I didn't ask this question, but like, I, like, I'm wondering how you came to that balance. So, um, honestly, it wasn't that difficult. Like I, I kind of quickly knew that I wanted those type of like warnings. Um, because, um, while, it might be a type of militant vulnerability. I do. I, the aim of the performance is never to hurt. Um, the aim of the performance is to um, have the other person think and have the other person experience, and they might have to deal with some difficult emotions um, that they might have towards violence or towards um, trans people or whatever, um, towards what it means to be Latinx or something. Um, but it, I never mean to hurt anyone and I wanted that to be clear. Um, I also wanted it to have that kind of feeling of the professional side of, um, some sex work, um, like in professional, um, brothels in, uh, Las Vegas or just Nevada where, um, they tell you straight up. Like, this is the amount of time, this is the type of touching that will happen, this is, like, let's choose a safe word, blah, blah, blah. I, I wanted it to be very, very open in the sense of, like, it it wasn't going to be a sensuous experience, but um, it has all the all the buildup around it where it could be. Like, it, it has this possibility. Yeah. I think the unintentional side effect of that is that a lot of people perceived me to be as the the one that was in charge of the situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people thought that I was the one that was actually, like, I was the, in charge of the yeah. performance piece. I was the artist. Uh-huh. Um, and you were which just it, an actor. Which, which I find, uh, um, wonderful, like amazing. Very, yeah. very wonderful. But I, I think that... And that shows it was, a lot about, like, what people view as far as, like, because you were dressed more masculine. Yes. Uh, so, like, yeah, that that shows a lot about... And that was a, a great about, part of it, was that uh-huh. I, would, like, I, we thought about me wearing, like, more makeup and being more gender queer yeah. too, but the whole point of it was to... It wasn't really, like, hyper-masculine, because my, like, no. blazer was a little bit flowery. Yeah. 
Um, You're not supposed to be hyper-masculine. Yeah. So, um, because I still want you to be kind of a part of, like, inside of the, the world of the champ. Not necessarily, like, the that character isn't necessarily something within, like, the what I believe is the narrative yeah. of the champ. But, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, it's also like a particular type of masculinity where like Sean Mendes is very flowery, but like very masculine. Yes. Yeah. Next question. Um, how was the sound right. mixing process for you? What did you use? What outside resources did you <laughs> utilize? So I did it all on GarageBand. Like I, I just was because I know GarageBand quite a bit due to um, doing podcast shit. stuff. Yeah, this shit. And um Essentially, like, it took me a really long time to figure out how the audio piece was going to work. Like, I knew that I wanted an audio piece, and I essentially made it uh, a week before um, the performance. Like, I w- it, like w- we were getting close, and, like, I was still trying to figure it out. And I think it was because I needed to figure out what the narrative of the piece I wanted it to be along with the physical performance because I knew what I wanted the physical performance to be since this past summer. Like I knew that I wanted it to be the champ in a bathroom washing the hands of someone, which um, everyone, a lot of people like to point out this like um, washing of the feet with Mary Magdalene type imagery, which, um, at the beginning, I was actually very afraid of as far as like, I didn't want it to seem just like purely biblical shit. Um, but I think the performance takes it away from that. Can you and be Latin American and not have religious shit yeah, thrown yeah. on what you do? Like, yeah. that's just what happens. Know, Everybody reads religious shit into everything that we do. I know. And um, it. so like at one point I was like, if you want to think that, that's fine. But like, there's so many other like moving parts. So um as I was like, so what I did was I was visiting Stephanie for her, um, for her art show opening. And I was in the train, like writing down essentially a script of things that I wanted to do. So I wanted to show these kind of inner thoughts, um, that, uh, hurt the champ. And while, I originally was like, oh, I should get different people to say these things and so on. I was like, but when you yourself are thinking about these things, you don't necessarily hear them in their voice. Like you don't necessarily hear like a transphobic thing from someone in their voice. Sometimes you might put it even in your voice. So that's where like the voice modulation shit started to like come and as well as like, I didn't have time to find enough people to to do all the different voices. Mm-hmm. So so it was just easier to yeah, do it that way. The like modulation of the yeah the yeah pitch. So so helium vocal. <laughs> I figured out like the different characters that I wanted to be a part of, um, which there's the champ very much like the champ talking and telling a particular story, um, and then you have kind of a coach character, much more masculine sounding lower. You have a um, higher pitched character, um, kind of feminine, but um, the that character is reading excerpts from um, 
from the book Unboxing by, what's her name? I always mess it up. Um, Joyce Carol Oates. So Joyce Carol Oates wrote this beautiful book in the 80s um, about boxing called Unboxing. And it's it's amazing. Um, but like the, there were several parts of it that I actually found kind of troubling. So I, um, I messed around with those bits and I put those in the piece and, um, it, it did, it did the kind of theoretical stuff that I wanted to show within the piece without having to like overdo it. Boop on the nose. Yeah. 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 So, so you have that character, going on and then you have several kind of other voices that are saying really negative stuff um making fun of the champ and and so on and um so you hear kind of a background sound happening throughout the entire um thing which is i recorded myself shaving one time and um that's what i was there was like a sound of like waves in the yeah. background that i was wondering okay yeah so there there's this like buzzing sound throughout the entire thing um and it's the sound of me shaving and i because i was thinking about like more things that happen in bathrooms um and especially like um if you want to look more femme as a mask person like you have to shave constantly and um yeah like that's always been the like like mind-blowing thing of like transphobic speech uh, like in politics is this idea of like the hairy burgeoning like yeah. trans woman walking and it's just like i like trans femme people are the most anal people about like body hair removal i've ever yeah. met like i am the most anal about body hair removal yeah. like it just it baffles me anyway so so yeah so like there's that sound going on and then um while i was visiting stephanie um i was at my parents house and um my parents have like a number of different like stringed instruments even though no one's an, a musician in our house it's really funny but like i i don't know for some reason i was just like oh i'll just record some weird sounds and I took my audio recorder and recorded myself tuning um, the instruments um, to like extremes to the point that they were either just like the strings were like super tight or that they were so loose that they were just like jangling around. And um, I did this to every single instrument and then I came back um, home and I did it to my um, electric guitar and I did it to the point that I broke a string and um, the ultimate sign of a rock star yeah for sure there so actually the the sound of breaking of the string is like one of the first things that you hear which um, what I did was um, you hear the audio of um, especially the electric guitar I think is the one that I kept um, you hear the electric guitar, but backwards. So I, I inversed the audio. So what you hear is the string coming together and then, um, the tuning, um, backwards. And, um, you hear throughout the entire, like five minutes, um, the, the different strings going through and through. And the, the audio picks up as you kind of get to a climax and within that climax I, I wanted there to be kind of 
some of these negative thoughts. I wanted there to be this um, a combination of all these things, which I honestly was like, yes, this kind of happens within audio pieces. Like you sometimes have like this gathering together, but um, I knew that within the space of the bathroom that was going to be um, really intense because um, the the um, what is it the audio thing the, the reverb yeah the, the, the boombox so like our little um, boombox boombox thing was going to a reverb against the entire bathroom and stuff so it was gonna like really have this um heavy kick to it and um i i couldn't help myself but i took like that little clip from um from trans uh like transgender dysphoria blues transgender dysphoria blues by fucking um, against me against me and i took that like one part at the beginning of the song and put it there because like it is so representative of like both this like positive thing but also like showing this like really like frustrating aspect of the human body um as like a trans person and everything and then you get to like a point where there's just no more sound and then there's a little bit more to the audio piece but um i like to keep the ending of the audio piece uh to be a singular thing within the live performance. But um, yeah, I, I was messing, or, like honestly it was a lot of messing around. Like I, I know what things sound good, like as a person who's messed around with like some audio shit before. So like I have an idea of what things sound good to me. So it was just trying to figure out a good way of doing it, um, making sure that the voices could be understood while also not be too too much and a lot of the editing that I did I did on a bus like on the way back like I, I was just like putting all these pieces together I recorded a majority of it in the sunken garden at Truman um, where like I went outside with my microphone and uh, my recorder and was like whispering to myself or sometimes yelling these things at myself uh, into the microphone and like it it was hard like it was really hard to say these things because like s some of these things hurt and um yeah i i did that for like almost an hour of recording and then i did all the editing on my way back home and I did a couple tweaks here and there um, before the night of the performance, but yeah. Just out of curiosity, how many hours do you think that it took to put that all together? Five or six, I'd say. Like Sweet. Yeah. Um, not counting like the hours of writing it and stuff like that, of like figuring it out. Like the, the, that would put it in like the tens and more hours, so... Um, how was the at distinctive atmosphere of the performance relevant thematically to you? Um, it is like half of the performance. Like um, I knew that there were things that we wouldn't be able to control. So like um, certain things like people seeing me when they weren't supposed to, things like that. Like, yeah, have to get used to it. But um, 
and especially because of like the constraints that we were in that particular those two particular nights um so but what i knew is i had complete control of the bathroom so that mattered to me like every single detail mattered to me i wanted the the towel that i used to dry people's hands to be a t-shirt to not be like a towel um i had just like a bowl of water a glass bowl of water on a little stand but that was mostly to stop me from like having to like go down all the time and hurt my back it was mostly just like a um practical yeah practical thing um we had a flashlight as our one source of light and everything that you said everything that i would say and do was organized was um pretty much um scripted scripted to some extent except for like some of the things in the bathroom some of the the endings are vastly different like i've said and those aren't scripted um those really depend on how the entire experience goes but um those are improvised but having that control of the space allowed me to be able to experiment um so that first night that we did it um i was just essentially like i knew how the performance was going to work because i did the performance in different bits here and there before that night but that was the first night that i did it with every single aspect of it going on and it went per like it went very well um the the thing is like i was still like trying to figure out the timing the like making sure that i was hitting kind of these spots here and there making sure that i was done by this thing by this point in the audio piece and so on um and then once i figured that out which took me like three or four performances then i could start messing around then i could start like figuring out things like how do i want to mess around with eye contact how do i want to mess around with the way that i like hold their hands how do i want to mess around with um like what i do with the boxing gloves and the and the wraps and so on so um there's honestly a lot of liberty within that performance and it took me like it took me getting comfortable with it to to see like all the opportunities i had and i'm happy that i somehow subconsciously left myself all of these opportunities but i wanted it to be pretty um controlled um both for the safety of me and the other person like um you and i we had kind of a code in case something was going wrong in the bathroom in which you would come in and help um we we had all of these kind of things to ensure the person and to ensure me that we were both safe if something actually violent started to happen which could happen like i i never ruled that out of my head i knew that these people were going to usually be quite open minded because they um they had heard maybe little bits here and there about the piece or um they had they knew that it was a live performance and maybe they've been to live performances or not of certain things either way um i wanted there to be these things that were controlled 
for our safety as well as for like my creative um, goal. So, yeah. What audience reactions moved you? Man. Pick three. Pick three. Um, yeah. Well, so like what I was fascinated by the f- second night was the the number of people that at the end of the performance would whisper or say thank you. Um, it it always touches me um, because like I had never thought of the like I had never thought of like a person thanking um, the champ for um, that type of tenderness and for that type of um, like care and it that really shows like my my intensity within the the character like as the character I don't imagine that type of thing like I may not have mentioned this but like the the way I view the champ is very much as like a doppelganger or a double uh, like a different version of myself um but very much kind of like the core of me and as the champ who is this like weird mix of like when when I feel like I sometimes am just walking around and I feel like the champ in me and it has this kind of like so confusing mix of masculinity and femininity the way that they carry themselves is kind of a little bit heavier than I do but also like they're they're trying to like show this feminine side but anyway um the thank yous were especially touching because like I had never thought that as the champ that would ever happen um there was one experience honestly um the experience where you the audio wasn't working and we had one minute of like complete silence before the audio happened um it was on the second night i think so like because the first night you didn't take a break yeah oh boy we (laughs) we need to talk a little bit about that um but yes that uh that that moment was really interesting because like i was I was in there, I had closed the door, I was walking to the stool, and I didn't hear the audio. And I was like, I either break or just go. And I, like, it was a split decision of, like, a second. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. If the audio never comes on, that's fine. If the audio does come on, cool. So I just did the performance as I normally do and leaving that silence was heavy like for the the two of us like it gave us this it it gave us this um kind of moment to hypnotize while also like focus so much on just the purely um physical aspect of the performance uh which I think was really cool on its own Um, But part of the experience is kind of overstimulation to some extent. So um, that 
but we still got there. Like that still happened at some point. And it allowed me to spend more time with this person instead of spending like five, six minutes. I spent like six or seven minutes with this person. And um, that person was really caring and really thoughtful. That person never said anything to me, but I could just tell like that that person was cared a lot about what I was doing and cared a lot about my actions and um, was there with me on an equal plane. Um, there wasn't this like confusion about who we were. It was kind of like we understood each other for a, for a second and I, I found that to be really cool. Um, the other one... That minute was a very stressful minute of my life. Just yeah, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but you know, I had to make uh, artistic gold out of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, another experience there, there were a couple of experiences where people cried. Um, I won't talk about one of them in particular, but one, um, because like, these are like very personal. personal. Um, but like one experience that I had was, um, just this, this person who took on the pain that was happening onto themselves in just like a way I had never expected. And um, I, I had to do, and like I still had to reenact caring, but in such a different way to reassure them that they were okay. And like, kind of doing what like what the champ should be doing to themselves in some way and um it's very representative of like me where i love taking care of other people but i'm shit at taking care of myself and um yeah it, it that person like it made me stop and made me think and it, i had to be careful and in a way that i didn't have to be careful with some other people um so yeah yeah, those were, um, the thing is like each and every one is different in its own way. And because of it, um, it is really taxing, uh, especially like the fact that we're not talking like that, like, honestly, there was at a point a performance like version of it that where the champ did talk, but I think there's something way better about the fact that like the champ doesn't talk and the and the kind of thing in between them is silence so i think to me it was also a very important part that like um the presence of me afterwards would be kind of irritating yeah because what i am is uh the like there's a moment in silence and mm -hmm. then I come back and kind of break that and bring them back to the real world. Yeah. So I did notice a certain measure of irritation at mm -hmm. me for um, doing that, which I found incredibly interesting. Yeah. And like very, very lovely. And I'm okay. I, I'm an irritating person. I'm very <laughs> used to that. Um, but uh, it was just very, it was cool. Like yeah. seeing how much they learn to crave that world uh -huh. of the champ. I think, yeah, I think there's no easy way to come back to 
the world outside of that bathroom. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's an easy way to make that transition. So, like, that irritation does interest me as well. So, What strengths of your own did you find in this process? Oh, fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, like... Um, there's this kind of thought I think that some people have, especially about my writing, that I'm hiding something or that I um, intentionally don't want the reader to understand certain things. And that's not that's not it. Like, that's not what I'm doing. But this piece was very much me giving everything. Like, giving every single detail of these things that hurt me and this story that means a lot to me. And um, I honestly like surprised I was able to do it. Um, because- It's very uniquely multivocationally using your particular skill set. Yeah, and it just, the thing is I'm not an actor, like I don't act. Um, I that was part of like my own frustration coming into the performance but I knew that I had to do it like there was no one else that was going to do this performance I had to do it so um but I had to put myself out there in a way that I had never done before and it has changed my life like it really has it um led me to come out to my parents um it led me to have these kind of difficult conversations with myself about like the way I want to present myself to others. It let me to have this kind of like odd liberty because like um, honestly the best moment out of that performance for me every single time I do it is the moment when I open the door right after having finished it and I see you and I walk away and you go into the bathroom. The, those moments that I spent in between leaving the bathroom and going to um, like the little room like that we had set up for me to take little breaks or whatever, the little green room area. Um, the, that moment, those like few seconds it was pure euphoria, pure like energy because I felt like I was going out to a fight. Like I, every single time it felt like, okay, I'm gonna fight this person. Like it, it's terrifying, it, it, but like you still get that urge of like pure adrenaline. And um, it it's weird. Like, it's weird how much joy that moment gave me. And it wasn't like th those moments in the side of the bathroom mattered so much to creating that moment. Um, and it, it was always like the same way that you describe you coming in and kind of crashing their, their illusion, me going into the green room by myself was crashing my own um, illusion. Like I wasn't going out on a fight. I wasn't gonna see this person again. I wasn't going to do these particular things. So um, it was like throwing like 
cold water on myself every single time um being by myself for a couple of minutes while you got the other person ready like it i had to in some ways occupy myself um so i had like a particular playlist that i had created of songs and it had one of my songs on it yeah and like these different things to kind of keep me in the mindset but it yeah the very difficult <laughs> there um did i answer the question i don't even remember it uh yes okay you did. cool <laughs> um i was gonna okay. mention one real quick thing was um part of like the emphasis behind the performance is like um this part of the joyce carol oates book where she describes how after most uh boxing fights the the two boxers will hug each other and how like they had to go through so much physical pain to be able to show um, emotion and care towards each other two masculine people showing like affection towards each other in such an intimate way two half-naked men hugging um, that they had to like hurt each other to get to to be that intimate with each other and I wanted to inverse that so that that's like a big reason why it needed to be um, a one-on-one experience. Yeah. I feel like to me, that was part of the, I thought about a lot after the performance for the like days and weeks afterwards. And even like now that I've been like rethinking about it to like do the episode of the podcast of like, why didn't I do the performance with you? Yeah. Like, why didn't I go into the thing? And part of it was practicality and that I wanted the most amount of people to do it yeah. um, as possible. Um, and, uh, the rest of it was like genuine fear. Um, uh, and like for two different reasons, I, I think part of it was, um, like I, like I would, I would never take it as a joke because yeah. it's not really, that's not fun. Like oh, no. I, like I spent so much if of my life. There's one thing that did not happen in that room was any, no one laughed ever period. Yeah. <laughs> like, and uh i like as a person i i like i don't know i don't think i'm particularly funny mm -hmm. but the way that i talk and act is just layers and layers of humor yeah. as like self-defense yeah and um breaking down that humor um is terrifying for one because uh, it's very very exposed which i think is the important mm -hmm. part of it and the other part was um, a very sincere commitment to the idea that I was about to beat you up. Yeah. And that, like, I don't know. It, it's it's hurtful in a way that, like, I love you so much that that would hurt me a lot to think that I would have to hurt you. Yeah. And that was a very difficult headspace for me to put myself in. Yeah. Um, and I also, like... <laughs> in being a bad person and being kind of a bully growing up, yeah, it brings me to the like human humanization of all of the people that I treated really badly mm -hmm. um, and feel very guilty about like having treated what I way. did to them and yeah. how I did beat them up. Um, mm -hmm. Like, so I don't know. It was very interesting um, thinking about that. Um, yeah. The other one is that like, sense of incredible intimacy of like being very like we already like get perceived as like a gay couple yeah forever and that <laughs> is like 
whenever we go out together. Yeah. Um, that experience to me is something like incredibly intimate to like Mm -hmm. a level that we haven't gotten. I don't think, yeah. I think the closest we've ever gotten to that is maybe touching knees while recording the podcast, but that's it. Like we are not a very intimate like duo. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I think part, mostly it's because like, I know that makes you uncomfortable. Yes. I'm very, I'm very comfortable with intimacy. I think anyone like, who's that... ever tried to give me a blowjob knows that it's <laughs> not great. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work out well ever. It's a lot of me just like shoving people away and kicking and it's not great. I like, yeah, that would hurt. <laughs> it, anyone who's tried to give me a blowjob knows that it's not a great experience. And then I wonder why nobody wants to blow me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that was a, uh, it's just, it's a level of intimacy that like is really like, it means more considering who we are to each other. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that. that's a whole different mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. There, there were some people who asked other friends, other like people close to me, why they didn't do the performance. And I don't fault you or anyone who has decided not to do the performance with me um, because it is a lot. And like, I, I think if you were doing this performance, I don't think I would do it. Like I, I love performance art. I love that fucking shit, but yeah, it it's really difficult when you know that other person yeah. in a way. So like the first night was really interesting in the sense of like, it was a bunch of people I didn't know. Like there might've been one person that I knew throughout that entire night. But, um, the second night was all people that I knew. Like there might've been one person that I didn't know. <laughs> the second and, night it was everybody had already booked up like yeah. way in advance. Oh yeah. It was like, there were so, Oh man. It, which made me proud. Like, yes. don't get me wrong. I was like so happy to hear that so many people wanted to experience it and everything. And, um, from what I heard, the people who did experience it, uh, had a good time. Um, as good of a time as you can have in yeah. that type of experience. But, um, yeah, no, I don't fault you at all. And I don't fault anyone because I don't think I would do it either. So, yeah. no, uh, yeah. Um, from the vantage point of the champing a persona, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of things that you do relate to, what are things about the champ that you do not relate to? Mm. That's actually really hard. Um, I think the physical violence just like the act of fighting. Um, I did train, I did do some boxing training at one point in high school, but I never, but it was like never contact. Like it was never meant for, to fight with anyone. Um, I honestly did it because it, um, I've never been a person who self harms. Um, but like it was a thing that I could do to get my frustration out and, especially when I was doing it, we didn't have wraps where I was. So I was rubbing like my knuckles raw in, in the boxing gloves. Um, and that was like, it was during a time in my life where I really didn't have a lot of control. And it was like, um, I was living in France. I was like, there was a lot of shit going on. So, um, so yeah, anyway, um, 
the physical violence is the only thing I don't connect with. Um, something that I describe is this idea that, like in Puerto Rican culture, I always felt like you either had to be a boxer, if you were a guy, you either had to be a boxer or a baseball player. And I know baseball. So, <laughs> um, so like boxing was the only thing that like interested me. And I just hurting someone else, I can't handle it. So um, that's the only thing. Everything else is like so close to me that it is me. Um, and yeah, I can't shake that. Do you have any thoughts about like what you think the future of the champ could be? I, yeah, I, I really don't know if I would add anything to it. <laughs> um, do you like, what do you think about it as like, as a trans piece of art? Like, do you think it's doing like one of my big fears about it is this idea that, um, it gets across, um, that, uh, trans people must be subservient in some way because that is not at all what I, I want to be shown within the piece because the act of, um, being kind, um, and like taking care of the other person isn't one of, um, you are superior to me, thus I must do this. Mm -hmm. It is one of, um, I do this for you and I hope you would do the same for me. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm interested in your thoughts of it as like a trans piece of art and what it is doing by itself. To me, that doesn't come across ever because I thought about that um, before, but um, to me, it doesn't really come across because the whole feel of the piece um, is so uh, dystopian and not utopian yeah. um, that it, it's like it's realist, not idealistic. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's not the way that things are supposed to be. It's how we deal with the way that things are. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference between the value of utopian queer um, representation where um, it doesn't really matter, where you just kind of like deal with it. It's um, like the the all lives matter versus like black lives yeah. matter type of yeah. thing where um, all lives matter is not strictly speaking wrong. Mm -hmm. That is kind of what we're working for. It's yeah. just incredibly blind to yeah. the practicality of the situation which is very interesting to me um to be the like stance that people who are conservative who pride themselves on the idea of like rationality and mm -hmm. like um that whole kind of thing that it, it's a very irrational way of thinking yeah to disregard identity politics mm -hmm. um and uh as much as identity politics aren't flawless and there is a like complete like in the end, what we're going for is like utopia of these things don't matter. These things yeah. are good. Like all lives do matter, yeah. but we're not there yet. Um, it's like dealing with where we are. And to me, the idea of realness is so incredibly important to queer, queer culture uh -huh. um, in feeling like a mockery of life and, um, in a uh 
in a world where you really like you work till you die you work not for your own things your Mm -hmm. life is not your own you are um incredibly powerless the world is dying um, and you really can't do anything about it yourself as much as you try to like become vegan and like recycle you're really it's incredibly fucking stop calling me out (laughs) (laughs) it's incredibly hopeless and yeah um we're made so much to feel as though um, we should be okay with how hopeless the situation is yeah. for so long that it um, identity politics where you are incredibly practical about how you're treated mm-hmm. and how that's hurt you and how you can't really ever like you can't undo the amount of damage that colonialism and racism yeah. have done. Um, you can't, make reparations for all of that there's no way to regain the balance and to like fix the emotional scarring that's Mm -hmm. happened as somebody who's been treated that way um it like it's dealing with that situation and trying to find the little ways that you can take control of the situation of like within a society that doesn't let you be a woman, you enter a competition in which the whole thing is realness and you uh, present like completely as passably as you can or as regally as you can or extravagantly or as professionally or as Mm -hmm. like military um, as you can. Um, And in the sense of the champ, um, it's in a world of incredible violence towards um, particularly like trans femme experiences mm-hmm. um although really just trans in general yeah um <laughs> like um it's taking the time to be incredibly kind yeah um and that's how you find power in certain things yeah um i wanted to say a quick like thank you to one for being so nice about the audio piece because it actually means a lot to me that you like it um, because I I trust your tastes and that and um, I like really worked my ass off to make it sound okay um, and then like I I wanted to thank you for just like um, being a part of like the experience and stuff because like when we were talking about having a a like manager character or something um there were just like these things thrown around of like oh we can find people um who are at school here who can do it and i was like yeah but i'd like my friend antonio to do it <laughs> like like i have this particular person who i think would be perfect for it and who i think would be like who i just like would like them to be there because it would calm me and like it would be a good experience for me and it would make it just easier and like i'm really happy that you were there for yeah. that no to me it it's a like the memory of it is such a treasure mm-hmm. that it like i've just it was wonderful and in my, my life is not exactly in the phase where i'm the happiest right now yeah um and it really felt like a sense of relief that there are things that can bring me joy still 
It was like we were doing something that like we talk about doing on the podcast, but don't actually end up doing. <laughs> like, yeah. like it it was uh, really good in that way. Yeah. So, what what I was thinking of ending the um, this with was with reading to you the um, the first paragraph of um, the book Cruising Utopia by Jose Esteban Munoz. Um, the whole book is like the idea is like the then and there of queer futurity so like what is a queer future like and everything and like can you think can queer utopia exist to some extent and um while i think um people it's very much to what you were saying about like um the champ is showing kind of a dystopian um thought um this Having read this about um, like queer utopia has like really impacted me. Um, so this is from the introduction titled "Feeling Utopia." It has a little epigraph: "A map of the world that does not include utopia is not worth glancing at." Oscar Wilde. Queerness is not yet here. Queerness is an ideality. Put another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as the warm illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. We have never been queer, yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness's domain. Queerness is a structuring and educated mode of desiring that allows us to see and feel beyond the quagmire of the present. The here and now is a prison house. We must strive in the face of the here and now totalitizing uh, rendering of reality to think and feel then and there. Some will say that all we have are the pleasures of this moment, but we must never settle for that minimal transport. We must dream and enact new and better pleasures, other ways of being in the world, and ultimately new worlds. Queerness is a longing that propels us onward beyond romances of the negative and toiling in the present. Queerness is that thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough, that indeed something is missing. Often we can glimpse the worlds proposed and promised by queerness in the realm of the aesthetic. The aesthetic, especially the queer aesthetic, frequently contains blueprints and schemata of a forward dawning futurity. Both the ornamental and the quotidian can contain a map of the utopia that is queerness. Turning to the aesthetic in the case of queerness is nothing like an escape from the social realm insofar as queer aesthetics map future social relations. Queerness is also a performative, uh, is also a performative because, um, it is not simply a being, but a doing for and toward the future. Queerness is essentially about the rejection of a here and now and an insistence on potentiality or concrete possibility for another world.